0: Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. This episode was sponsored by ArchiPro. ArchiPro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs. For architects and designers, ArchiPro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work. And then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word of mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architect or designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about Archipro, visit www.archipro.com.au. Joining me on the show today is Eva Foskia from IF Architecture, a four-person architecture and interior studio behind many well-known Melbourne retail and hospitality spaces, including Marion, Cutler & Co., Jardin, Baker Blue, Attica, and The Prince Redevelopment in St. Kilda. In this episode, Eva and I discussed the importance of setting and communicating clear boundaries for your clients and why Eva believes it's essential for architects to protect the value of their time and carefully track and charge for the time they spend on their clients' projects. We looked at how Eva has broadened the studio's process and presentation structure beyond what's traditionally offered by an architect to give her clients comprehensive advice on leasing opportunities, operations, brand identity, and more. We spoke about the benefits of working with hospitality and retail brands over the long term, both in terms of repeat business as the client scales their brand and opens new locations, as well as the efficiency of the process that develops once a trusting working relationship is established. And finally, we discussed how Eva has designed a range of popular furniture products in collaboration with Grazia & Co. And she shared her tips for other architects who are interested in exploring retail product design as a secondary revenue stream. So I hope you enjoy my comments conversation. conversation with Eva Foskia from IF Architecture. Eva, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Dave, for having me. It's a real pleasure.
0: So, as we always do, maybe start off with a little bit of a history of IF and the practice and, yeah, give me a little bit of an overview of, yeah, where the studios come from and what sort of work you guys do.
1: Okay. The practice is about just over 10 years old. I started it after having worked for you know a series of practices in Melbourne of different sizes some really big practices and then some really small practices and the smaller practices honed my interest in the typologies that we're doing now. So mainly you know single family residential uh, retail and hospitality work. Uh, So we've For a long time it was, uh, well, actually for a couple of years early on it was just myself and maybe one person, two people contracting and then that became a bit difficult to manage. So I took the leap and hired first employee and then since then the practice has grown to where we are now. So now we're a team of four, uh, which has been where we've been for the last couple of years, which is a really, I think, a beautiful, a really good number for us. It allows us to do those typologies, work with the clients that we're working with, and yeah, keep doing the things that we love without feeling sort of big pressure financially or practically in that we can't deliver those projects because we don't have the resources.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And was there a particular project or maybe, um, a couple of different moments in time that were kind of turning points for the studio where things really started to kind of take off and and, and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, one, one was a commercial office project. And that had, that was like for the first time that had like a full team of consultants. It was in a tower in Melbourne that required, you know, a whole lot of milestone approvals and things like that. So it was, it was the first sort of very, very professional project. Uh, Others had been of a similar scale, but, you know, working directly with the client, not having a whole bunch of other consultants didn't seem to make it as serious. Whereas this uh, commercial project or this office project was, you know, a project manager and acoustic consultants and engineers and all that sort of stuff. So that was a real, that was a real turning point. And it also that was the point at which there was no going back to just contractors helping. It was we really need a team to be able to deliver this project in time and to the level that it needed to be delivered as well.
0: Yeah, awesome. And so that was the workplace project. I'm interested in exploring kind of hospitality and retail a little bit as well because there's been a couple of really key projects and things in the portfolio and different clients that you've worked with that I think are really interesting. And I'm interested to know a bit more about retail and hospitality and how that all works for you. So wh- when did um, when did that start coming about for the studio, kind of getting into that sort of work with you know, projects like Marion and and um, stuff like that? When when did that sort mm. of um, begin to unfold?
1: Well, Marion happened after we had delivered Jardin the first sort of Big Jadan oh, okay. retail store in Melbourne. And the client, the Marion client had actually been to Jadan and seen the space, but he had also known of some of our other work and he knew of the practice. And I think seeing then Jadan made him think that he, it would, you know, he would like to talk to me. And he initially approached me actually for Meatsmith. So Mm. he was looking at the Meet Smith store on Smith Street and he was talking to a few architects and we we didn't get that job, but I actually reached out to him and said, If you had time, that I'd like to know why we didn't get the job. You know, what I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, is it fees or did he just think that we weren't capable or something like that and he actually called and said oh would you be able to come to a meeting and I thought oh I don't I don't want to go to a meeting to hear about why we didn't get the job (laughs) like an email (laughs) just be fine (laughs) I thought oh this is going to be so embarrassing and he invited me to come to Cutler And he actually said, oh, you know, look, I know you want to know why you didn't get the job, um, but it was for no real reason apart from uh, I thought that the practice that got it would do a great job. And I actually thought that I'd like to talk to you about another job and that you would be better suited for that. And that was for Marion. Um, mm. And so it worked out well for me, <laughs> really. Um, not that Meat Smith isn't a great, you know, a great job, but I'm very proud of having had Marion as one of our projects, and so chuffed that it, you know, people still really love it and going there. So, but I think Jadan made us visible. I think that was the that was the turning point is that yeah. Jardin? you know, it's a big space, um, people love that brand and even if they're not in design or residential, but see, hospitality client still needs things for home or, you know, whatever it might be and that's how we were front of mind.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So a really high-profile retail brand like Jardin partnering with that is just It's great exposure, isn't it? To all sorts of different aspects of the industry at the higher end. So that's a, that was a really, maybe that should have been my question of how did you start working with Jardin? Because I think that that's kind of like the, it's, it's the, maybe that first step, or maybe there was something prior that led to that. But I think, I think it's just interesting to sort of break apart where this chain of different things that just connected with each other. Um, but yeah, Jardin was a good example. So how, how did you get into working with that brand at the beginning?
1: Well, so I worked with a colleague at a company, an interior design firm in South Melbourne called Nexus, and they were mainly, they, and they still do, do a lot of product development, they do graphic design, but then one of the main things that they're known for is interior design and interior residential design. And a colleague of mine, she actually branched out on her own before I had, and she had the connection with Jaden, and she had done some work, and she had actually had a personal relationship. She was, she was, uh, with one of the directors of Jaden. They had like a personal relationship for like eleven years, and they she had helped them with their trade showrooms, and she was really busy, and she actually started oh, Eva would you be interested in meeting and talking with them because I can't do their work anymore? And I said, sure. And I had a great first meeting with them. And I think we connected on a personal sort of level as well, not just a professional level, you know, the like-mindedness. And actually the first project I did for them was really small, like they had a showroom in Brisbane and they wanted to make that, you know, it's a big old warehouse and nothing was really going on and so they wanted to make it a little bit more interesting. So there was that first and then similarly a little bit of a spruce up to a trade showroom that they had in Sydney. Yeah. And I think part of it has been is that we, well, IF has grown with them, in, you know they've grown exponentially. You know they're a big, they're mm. a really big company, but what the change has been is that along the way, by the time Melbourne came along, they had decided to uh, do their own retail, as opposed to just being a wholesale or a trade. No, not even a wholesale, but a trade business, mm. uh, because they wanted to represent their brand the best way that they could and they didn't feel that others were representing their brand as well and so that's how that showroom came about and yeah. they really wanted to develop their own identity that Australian lifestyle and I think because I already knew them quite well I understood their business managed to capture that essence and then we've mm. just been developing that ever since and I think because we've had a long going relationship it's made each one better like yeah. you know the more you work with someone the better each project i think gets
0: yeah absolutely with Dan and a couple of other projects like where you're talking about this idea of uh, going with a working with a brand that is kind of distributing their stuff wholesale or they're they're behind the scenes they might be a really established company but they're looking to make that transition over into re- retail and to it seems to really come down to the brand and how that's um, how that's kind of uh, distilled in a physical space and I just get the feeling that, several of your projects is a bit of a pattern of this wholesale to retail for the first time move and some of the stuff I know you guys are working on behind the scenes as well. So is that, is that a bit of a thing that you've noticed as well that that's something that you've found a little bit of a, I guess, a niche for in terms of these existing brands, but it's their first kind of foray into having a public location or store?
1: Yes. By coincidence, not that that's been a people that we've targeted or anything Mm. like that. I think people just see the project, the past project. So, you know, a client that we've, we've we've been working with, they actually reached out because they saw one of these projects and they said, We're, we'd like to do that. Can you help us do that? So I think just the visibility of seeing it done and it be, you know, successful and working, then, you know, that client just makes that association with know, or asking to say who who did this for you? Yeah. We'd like to do it so they can do it for us. And of course, like, you know, for us that we can apply our design skills to many different things. But if they are coming to us because of that, well, we're not gonna say no, either. That's great. Like why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think like that's definitely even after Baker Blue and the store in Hawksburn, that there's been a, a few inquiries that have been led on from that. People who have like even food businesses who are saying, oh, you know, you did this for this, you know, bakery, can you do it for us? You know, yeah. but it's not as glamorous as say fashion apparel or anything like that. You know, it's just food. <laughs> and, yeah. 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 I think that they like that. Maybe we're coming at it with fresh eyes, in their Mm. eyes, Mm. you know, a fresh perspective.
0: Yeah. So when you're working with a brand and there's that potential for it to expand into multiple locations or that's what they're sort of envisioning, it's a bit of a different brief for an architect, right? Because you're not necessarily dealing with a, you may not be dealing with a specific location at first, I guess. So it's more about, in some cases, developing kind of the concept for that retailer or that brand, right? I guess like, is there an aspect to that as well? I'm just curious in terms of maybe the differences there in in terms of how you guys offer that service if if you're working with a client like that.
1: Yeah, that's developed organically really. And I think we've always been really open to that. I know that that's not a traditional service that many of my peers or other practices would really offer. And maybe that's because we've always had a lot more sort of hospitality and then retail projects. And so seeing how they've evolved or how, you know, branding companies or uh, strategic sort of marketing companies and things like that have worked with those companies in the past or, you know, just having a bit of being in that sort of sphere. Yeah. Yeah. obviously expanded our vocabulary around that as well and then has given us quite a lot of knowledge. So I think some brands might not expect that when they come to us but that's also how we've managed to make an impression as well Mm. because the, the presentations are so thorough, not just on you know, the design and the spatial arrangement, you know, it's the incorporation of their brand, of a strategic presence, of thinking around rollout, of thinking around uh, leasing opportunities, that we're sort of speaking to them in a way that's more like a partner, rather than purely as a service provider and you know, if architecture provides one service and then we go to someone else for another service and we go to someone else for another service, we, we definitely don't have the same kit of parts that maybe a, a you know branding agency or something like that would have. But I think we have enough expertise and enough knowledge that we can offer, you know, a really good insight of how that marries with the design. And then, so, so then I think then they they start to trust us because you know they know that we're making sense, and as soon as then as soon as you do one, then you've got the runs on the board so to speak, you know yeah. you're proven. I think we sort of fell into it, but it's it's in part because we're also really interested in it as well, and so we tailored our presentations to speak to them in that way or to communicate with them in that way. And then we've just kept doing it. So, yeah, for for all the, even the people that we're working with now, like we just recently finished a presentation where the client doesn't even have a site, but they know or they're looking for a site. They have always been wholesale with this brand And they want to open or have their own retail presence. And they asked us, what would that look like? Uh, So then they could help them work out how many square meters they need. Uh, They can go to leasing agents and they can say, you know, we're looking for X amount of square meters in this area, as opposed to finding the space and then coming to us and us trying to, you know, shoehorn all of their wishes. Mm into a space that's half the size of what it should be. I think that's that's something that's worked really well for us and I really enjoy and hope that we keep working with either new people or even with the same people to keep developing. I guess being more all-round, not just hmm. being able to offer just architectural and interior design services, but being able to offer more, more than just... The traditional services, yeah. I, I guess.
0: Mm. Yeah. Do, do you ever think that that would translate into maybe a, a different approach to hiring, like maybe looking for other skill sets? Like you mentioned branding, marketing strategy, a few different things there. Do you envision maybe one day expanding it out that way through maybe some different skills in the, in the company as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely been something that has been part of the dialogue even in the office and how that might happen and what that would look you know what that would look like I think we've been a bit tentative in the past Mm. because it you know sort of saying oh you know we're this is no we do architecture and interior design but you know we could just be a studio a design studio and we Mm. could offer you know a whole lot more we don't have to be sort of pigeonholed either. But it's just, it's not something that we've actively pursued, not to say that we wouldn't, but, you know, you've just got to make, you've got to have a bit of a plan and you've got to pursue it. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: We just haven't quite gotten there yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But outside of the retail and hospitality stuff, you mentioned the single residential area as well. Has, Has that sort of work typically for you guys come from, kind of your sphere that you're in in terms of the more commercial side of your work or just your maybe more your personal relationships or just the profile of the practice in the public? Like probably a little bit of all of the above, but has there been Mm. anything that's sort of stood out to you in terms of where those projects have come from? Because I know that you guys have been working on some really great residential stuff in the last couple of years.
1: Yes. I think the commercial projects have made us visible. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of practices that do majority single family residential, and they're very well known for that. And those mm. projects have been awarded, and so people know them because of because of those projects. With our messy projects, it's exactly like what you're saying, some of it's word of mouth, some of it is just um, who we know or. You know, people suggesting uh, working with us because someone they know has worked with us in the past. But I think for the people that have approached us via the website or just via email, I think the reason why they have approached us is because of those other typologies that the the hospitality projects m- mainly, and and say a project like Jadan. Actually, we've had probably a mm. bit of residential work through Jadan because that project seems to straddle between residential and retail. So a lot of Mm -hmm. people look at either Melbourne or Sydney and say, oh, I'd actually love to have that as a home. And if you can do that, you can do that for my house.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Every time I have a guest on the podcast and we talk about hospitality or retail, I always come away from it thinking that it sounds like the best area to work from a business standpoint because not only do you get to work on a cool project but you just get this um publicity and visibility out of it there's the possibility that the client will come back with more projects um you get this crossover into private residential that can come from it sometimes there's just seems to be all these great things. And also the projects happen a little bit quicker than private residential. So I don't know, what's your sort of stance? I mean, I know you love um, family homes and residential, but uh, am I wrong? <laughs> is, is retail and hospitality not like the best?
1: It has its moments. <laughs> yeah, it can, has its good days it and bad be, days. It can be stressful when it's only
0: unique. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: Yeah, like for all of the reasons why it's good, it can also turn against you. So the timing can be great because you don't have to wait two years to see something built, you know. Yeah. I think anyone who's in design ultimately wants to see the project realized. You don't want to see it just exist on drawings or in a model or something like that and have it live in a drawer. You you want to see it built and used. So the advantage is that it's quick. The disadvantage is also that it's quick because then it makes time Mm. pressure. Um, You don't have, you have to make quick decisions. You don't have the luxury of letting something digest or you know, ruminate for a long time. 99% of the time they don't have the best budget, but what Mm. they do give you is exposure and people can enjoy them. You know, a private residential home is the domain of that family and their friends and potentially if it's in an open house or awards or something like that. Hospitality project, you know, that's an extension of our living rooms and our dining rooms. People go out for breakfast or lunch or dinner, date nights, catch-ups. And so they're engaging with people way more than you would ever get from a residential project. And that's what makes them beautiful because there's the satisfaction of knowing and seeing that they're being used. So like with Marion. I still get a buzz if I drive past there and see, like, you know, it's a Friday afternoon in Melbourne. I'm sure all the tables are out the front that are full. I'm sure, you know, in a couple of hours it will be full inside. And that's such a pleasure to know that people are enjoying a space that we had a hand in so that the joy of it is longer lasting because you you actually get to see it. And then, yeah, like like most things, you know, ebb and flow, They, some the, sometimes the blessing occurs, and you think, oh, my God, why does it have to be that way? And then it kind of passes as well, you know, once as soon as something opens, all the kind of things that have happened, the problems and things like that, you, you forget about them and you just think, oh, this place is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, and then the, as you were saying, then the other really good thing about that is that once you've developed a hopefully a good relationship with that client, well, then a business person for the most part is not just doing one business. Like all of those businesses are about some sort of scale and scaling up. Like I think it's very rare to find someone who's like, oh, I'm just happy with the one premises and that's, yeah. and that's <laughs> you know, more often than not everyone wants to do more and that's great for us because we don't we don't have to pitch again in terms of, you know, this is who we are and this is why it's we would be great for this project. They already know that, and there's a trust. You've delivered for them in the past. so you're going to deliver again. Um, and that that's great if a lot of your time is going out and chasing new business. well, this you don't have to. It's just, hmm. you know, and every year or every second year, may be calling you to say hey like i've got a new site this is what we're doing whereas residential how many homes can people build
0: yeah you know the projects you mentioned the time and things going wrong and the budget and all that sort of stuff and it can get really stressful and it can be a bit of a pressure cooker a hospitality project you know this deadline we have to open a certain amount of time and all this sort of stuff and it can be stressful on you guys it can be stressful on the client. And it's all, you feel much better once the things open up and the public love it. But um, is it, I guess it's tough to then, you know, go into that next project or the one after, having gone through that stressful experience, it, where the client may not have been necessarily having the best time at certain points. But do you feel like overall, because the outcome is so um, is so great, that's what matters the most to them at the end of the day? Because I sort of I sort of wonder, does any stress in the experience sort of turn them off the thought of working together again, or is is that usually water under the bridge if so, if little things like that happen along the way in a project? And, 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 you know, longer term they sort of they get to see what it was all for in the end?
1: Good question. In our my experience, say, maybe earlier on when my skills, even communication skills weren't as maybe honed as they are now, mm. I think that it, probably some of those things have been to our detriment. I think the way that maybe um, not foreseen issues or you know, not communicating well enough with the client along the way that it got to a point where it was too late, potentially haven't looked favourably on us, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think that's been a real learning process as well. And one of the things that we always try to do is communicate the best we can. If something's gone wrong, put our hands up straight away, say, you know, this is something that slipped through, we apologise, this is how we're going to rectify it, that more often than not people just want to know that you're doing your best for them. You know, I think they understand that everybody can make mistakes, but if you don't address it straight away, that that can leave a sour sort of taste them Hmm. yeah and that Hmm. potentially then they can think you know this process has been too hard or it's been you know and so then they think it's better if i worked with someone else because it wouldn't happen with someone else potentially yeah i think that's can be quite difficult because often with uh, commercial projects even with residential projects you know you're not dealing with people who maybe initially they haven't done it before so they're doing everything for the first time they're unsure of the process they're unsure of the financial burden as well mm-hmm. they're unsure of what it takes to actually get something built and so if you aren't clear with them you know take them along the journey with you that can be so daunting and so overwhelming and so stressful and I think if you're not there to support them then they can feel really alone then they're thinking well those people haven't serviced us the best or you know I don't don't know what they're thinking but I think it can kind of make it a bit of a bad experience for them
0: yeah yeah absolutely those clients if they are in that first that first time in the process and you're spending that little bit of extra time maybe they're stressing out in the process a little bit more they're they're calling you all the time or or something's going on because you know they're 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 sort of all the little things that can be pretty overwhelming it it must be um it must be important to kind of keep track of making sure that the studio is isn't over servicing that client and spending too much time on their project for for the fees of the project right and one area that <laughs> yes. I did want to kind of chat to you about a little bit was kind of your approach to that, because I think, uh, yeah, from what I've picked up, it's an area that that you guys have been kind of really methodical about in terms of fees and in terms of accounting for your time and all of that sort of stuff. Is that just, um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your approach firstly, but but also is that something that's developed, has become more relevant or important in the sort of the pressure and speed? and. Um, spontaneousness of commercial and hospitality and retail, um, has that been something that's driven you to be extremely like diligent in terms of those things? Or is it just like overall good business practice from your point of view?
1: Um, Good practice because Mm. I think both residential and, you know, those commercial projects can be, depending on how you approach them, you know, they can get out of control, you know, both of Mm. them. Exactly like what you're saying, like you can be over servicing and that can become the benchmark or the standard with that client, with that project. And before you know it, you're, you know, you've completely exhausted the fees and there's not much room left to actually do the work. Mm. Um, and, you know, with, with residential clients, I think that, you know, for them, it's often the biggest project of their lives and it's, it's exciting and it's a pleasure. You know, it's, it's something that they're doing outside of their work. It's, you know, it's, it's probably something they've dreamt of for a very long time and, they can have very, very romantic ideas about the, the process. You know, they're obviously engaged in architects. So uh, they know that they're going to get something very special. Um, and I think sometimes they can forget that for us, uh, that's as much as we love design and, and the work that we do, but it's also a job, you know, and I'm, running, you know, a business and that some of these things I we do them because that's part of our scope of services. It's 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 not a it's not something that we're doing as a, you know, for our pleasure. Yeah. And with the commercial clients, I think the expectation is a little bit different. Uh, I think that it's very easy for them to to get in the habit of treating you like you're a member of their team yeah. and not an external person. So, you know, obviously if, if you're a member of their team, then the expectation is, is that you're there all the time and that, you know, as soon as they ask for things that you're going to drop everything to deliver them, that, that you're essentially working for them, but just based in another office. And, and that's a bit of a learning curve for them too and for us to kind of you know draw the line and say no no you're you've actually engaged us we're, we're not um employed you know there's a distinction in the definition we've we've been engaged and we're providing a service you know not just for you but for other people as well and you know there's boundaries i, I think maybe that's actually the word like for both for any client you know there's 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 boundaries and we've got to be the the gatekeeper of those those boundaries. Hence the timekeeping, and you know mm. that that's something that yeah we're we're really diligent about because our time is a re- out the only resource that we have. You know we don't sell a product, <laughs> yeah. um, oh, you know, and so our resources are precious. And you know if we're giving them away or devaluing them, then we're devaluing the work that we do. And design has such an image problem anyway. We're professional, you know, in architecture, we're professional people who have, you know, insurance and registration, and yet people balk at our hourly rates, but you would never do that with a lawyer or a doctor. And in terms of qualification and education, we're the same. And, you know, we take on a lot of responsibility. But, yeah, people don't blink. You know, they might complain about what their lawyer charges them, but they pay it. Whereas because, you know, I think they, you know, design is seen as a a bit more, um, you know, it's obviously creative and so they don't put the same value on it as they do on other skill sets. So we have to be the sort of protector of that and not give away our expertise and our IP and our time, even though we're very passionate about the work that we do.
0: Yeah, exactly. So for you guys, is that, that's things like from, from what I've picked up um, you know, going to a meeting, we will time that and, put that to the client, uh, responding to a, to an email, picking up the phone having a chat on the phone, those sorts of things. There's so many, I mean, you'd see this through the small practice forum and your conversations with other architects, but I get the feeling that people are very, very loose when it comes to that stuff, that it's not the norm for small practices to be carefully tracking all of those things and making sure that that's all being added up. Right. That's the impression that I get. Anyway, do you still see the same thing?
1: Yeah around the edges around the periphery I think that that's actually not something that we're very good at talking about you know we're not we're not even very good at talking about fees and you know everyone can be a little bit cagey about talking about money like it's yeah
0: I'm not you know, I think, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I
1: think, uh, you know and architects have that you know they're all a bit everyone that you know it's Hundred, you know, thousands of years old. The artist side, you know, very creative, and they're they're not keen to talk about, you know, money. And but, you know, like I was saying before, we're running a business, and you know, I'm not a charity, and we, it's not something that we can give away. It really isn't. And there's staff and an office and rent and expenses and expensive software licenses and all sorts of things like that. Like there's no side hustle that's supporting us. Like what we do is the thing that keeps us going. So I can't be lax with that. And I think that if, you know, if that's in the profession, like especially with smaller practices, I think, that that's something that we really need to change you know we're we're undermining ourselves you know going back to that Mm. thing of you know having the authority you know and the equity in our businesses and our practices and you know if we aren't charging people for our time we're we're undermining ourselves you know the, the time that it takes for me to go to a meeting is time that I'm not doing work for somebody else and if I have to be going to that meeting well I should charge yeah. for it because yeah. why wouldn't I you know or yeah. the same with a call or an or an email I'm providing a service to you and if and so if you know like anything if if we went to see our doctor the time that we go in there that's the time that we're paying for they're not coming to see me I'm going to see them yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's
1: one of it's one of those things that has been a challenge over the years is just recognizing our boundaries and even as a team like talking with each other about, you know, where we have to look after each other, you know, like the our team, whoever's in our team, we have to put we put each other first and then everything else, you know, after that because we're, we're the unit, you know, we're, we're the ones, we're the asset, essentially the only assets that we have are ourselves. And if, Mm -hmm. if we're not looking after ourselves, then yeah, we, we're going to end up in a downward spiral, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This conversation of boundaries with, with clients, I imagine that your approach to this would have changed a little bit over time, but is it more about just knowing what those lines are and then being quick to communicate with a client about that when you feel that something has been crossed or is it something, do you see any benefit in trying to have some sort of discussion around it early on in the process? Is a bit of a briefing in terms of here are some of our boundaries. Does that actually make any difference, (laughs) you know, making them aware of it versus just calling it out when there's an issue? I I just would like your kind of expertise on this one.
1: I think when it, happens sometimes it's too late we have taken the approach at like the beginning of a project to say you know a little bit of a a kickoff meeting um even actually actually even before then maybe even when we meet someone for the first time and you know you might be talking about you know our work and things like that and then you know we asking about them and their family or their business or whatnot and then part of that conversation ends up being, well, where you know, this is who we are. And we might, we might say like, you know, where a project would run like this, you know, you'll have, there'll be a project architect or a senior lead. And for the most part, you'll be communicating with them, you know, I'm, in CC across all things and we have catch-ups every day or every second day and we have a weekly work in progress. So all of us know what's going on for the most part and even if you ring the office and you speak to someone who's not on your project team, that person will, will know who you are and will be able to either help you or point you in the right direction. And so that thing of talking ab- about how we do things sets some boundaries and then they know not to expect communication from someone else and then they know that when somebody answers the phone that it's okay you know like Mm. just those little things have really i think been beneficial and when something has gone awry i think Addressing it straight away. Uh, a lot of the time, it actually is via email because, you know, this profession can be litigious. And so yeah. you want to make sure that you've got some things that sort of written down. Um, but yeah, we've always tried to address it really quickly and just make an effort to address actually all the issues that might be there and then also to kind of reiterate uh, what we've done and how, you know, our approach to the project and the scope of services and all of the things that we've been doing along the way. Like we make a maybe what I, it's not very clear, we make a real point of um addressing the issues and then being really clear about what we've done and what we will do so that there's no grey area to anything Um, without giving specific examples it's really hard (laughs) yeah we've gotten a lot better at doing that anyway
0: in terms of having that firmness and going, these this is the boundary, or you know, this needs to be paid. We, we will not work on this until this has been paid, or this deposit has been paid. Does that sometimes feel trickier? Because often, with these longer term clients you've been working with, although they completely know how you operate, but I guess um, that a lot of the clients that you work with, I get the sense that you develop quite quite a personal relationship with them as well, like many architects do with their clients. And sometimes it can be, I guess, a little bit tougher to put the foot down a bit and go, I love your project. I love you. I love working with you, but I'm actually going to not work with you until this invoice is paid Um, and sort of doing that. But but do you just is that just totally uh, not something that you worry about or stress about at all at this point with your experience your you you feel so comfortable just sort of stepping into that role because that's your clients respect you and they know your boundaries and all that sort of stuff but i guess like this idea of being firm about things like the money the financial side while also keeping it like a very friendly and very personal relationship i guess that's kind of the challenge
1: yeah yeah, like that is is really tricky and especially after you develop connections with people and they you might not see them socially but you're very familiar with them when you do see them or sometimes you do see each other socially like you know through events or or whatnot. So yeah, that can be really tricky and really it can be really awkward <laughs> as well. But Ultimately where I've had to, I've actually personally had to compartmentalise like Eva as a friend and Mm. my role as an employee of the business. You know, if architecture is a company and I'm a director of that company and I have responsibilities as a director to that company, I'll also have responsibilities to Every team member at IF Architecture, and that gives me the courage to have those conversations or write those emails, hmm. um, not without the internal struggle. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I, um, you know, I'm still practicing like at that. And I think, you know, like what we are saying before, like a lot of us have a real funny relationship with our, what we do and money and whatnot. But just kind of having that conversation with myself almost and just saying, well, this is what your job is. This is actually what your role is, like this is not you personally, then you have to do that. Because even when, you know, I've got external help with like bookkeeping and things like that and, you know, you can almost delegate some of those chasing up and things like that with other people mm. and that makes it a lot easier because it makes you removed. Yeah from that. But sometimes that what's happened is, is that those people can only go so far and they're not getting any traction either. And so it, you know, it does take someone who is the responsible person in, you know, the director to come along and say, Hey, like, when, uh, when is this going to happen for anything to actually happen? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But I just have to really, yeah. Put, put the other hat on and act as if I'm a big girl boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great.
0: No, it's just, it's I, I, I don't know, I just think there's really interesting kind of lessons to be learned from where you're operating in um, in a space with lots of other businesses and business people and there's some very... Tough business people that you work with, and some very get things done quickly kind of people, because that's what their their companies like or their industries like. Whether that's you know chefs or people that run manufacturing companies or whatever, they they're they're very hardcore, and um, so I'm, I always admire kind of your skills and other, other architects that operate in that kind of um, environment that you're dealing with some pretty hardcore people and and in business. And I guess the, it challenges you on the business side to be kind of as hardcore back sometimes in terms of, in terms of being quite diligent.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I think it really just comes back down to the, having that Mindset of like, I've got to look after my own family, and my own family is if architecture, and yeah. that that's my role. And when, when you for me, when I was able to distinguish that and put that as simply as my family comes first, and then it makes it a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. It still has its moments, like everything, you know. You, for the most part, you do everything with such a pure or naive approach. Like, you don't want things mm. to go bad, but mm. sometimes they just do. <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah. But what can you do? Like, it's just a part yeah. of the process. You're not always going to get along with everyone, and you're not always going to have lifelong friendships with people it's got to kind of take it as it comes.
0: That's right. But speaking of, speaking of lifelong friendships, I, I get the sense that quite a few of the different people that you've worked with over the, over the years, like Andrew and Ben Shuri and Hannah and, and these different, these different clients that you work with at various stages that you've met kind of, I'm guessing in your, in kind of your personal, your social life and, and, and this sort of thing that you form these long relationships with them. I, I speak to a lot of architects about, I don't want to call it networking. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to use that term necessarily, <laughs> but people, people go, I went to this thing and I like met this person and we had a really great chat and we got along really well. And there was a lot of crossover and a lot of like-mindedness there but then they they kind of go, but now, now what do I do? <laughs> I don't know what to do next. Like, how do I kind of stay in touch with this person? Like, what's 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 the protocol there? And I think there's like a sort of, a little bit of social awkwardness around that kind of establishing these personal relationships, but they're, they are in business, they are with, you know, maybe potential clients and things like that. I don't know if that's necessarily something that you have like a strategy for, Per se, because I think it's just you just being your normal self and and meeting people and maintaining these relationships. But I I do wonder: is there anything that you think is maybe useful advice in terms of uh, how to make sure that you're not just, I guess, like focusing on kind of work and the business all the time, but are also making sure that you're keeping that those those connections uh, alive over time, that you're putting energy into those relationships, or however you view it. I'd just be curious to kind of. Get your take on that.
1: Yeah. I think what you were saying, Dave, is true about me in that I think I, it is just me being myself. Yeah. Um, I'm not very strategic in that way because I think that when I have tried to be, it hasn't worked. Yeah. You know, the, 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 sometimes the harder you try at something, it comes across as trying hard and, yep people can feel feel that I think a little bit and especially if you're, you know, the people that you mentioned as well all have a bit of a public profile, you know, they have a lot of people approaching them all the time about Mm. things and they're on the other side sort of going, oh, you know, I just want to go to a party and... And relax and have fun. (laughs) Yes, you know, and I don't always want to... Be giving of myself to people I don't know or whatever it might yeah. be but in in saying that like I have made an effort to put myself out there and not be left wondering what could have been you mm. know like I think that's the other thing like you you can I know I have you know in the past walked away from meeting someone going yeah you know thinking oh I love what they do i I'd love to be working with them, you know, in the future, but I never said anything about it. And whereas i and this is not, doesn't come naturally to me either, but I, or maybe not in that moment, but I follow up with an email or something like that and say, it was great speaking with you. If you need an architect in the future for some reason, or if you're doing another one of these things, I'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you about it. And that way, you know, they can respond or or they can respond in six months time or whatever. But at least <laughs> I've said it and I'm and I'm not left wondering. I I went to Los Angeles a few years ago and I knew that Ben Shuri was really friendly with Curtis Stone. Mm-hmm. And I asked Ben to put us in touch and and he very kindly did And then uh, we met for a coffee and a um, super lovely guy and, yeah, sort of said it was so lovely to meet you and if you're ever doing anything in here in LA or in Australia, you know, I think it would be great to have an Australian perspective through design for an Australian chef, you know, whatever yeah. whatever it was. and Great pitch. Needless to say, he's never called. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, at, at least, like, I'm not here three or four years later thinking, oh, I wish I had said something yeah. to him, you know. So, exactly. I, I know, like, those, those circumstances, like, uh, yeah, we... We have to maybe this is circling back to some of the other things we were chatting about, but we really we're not selling a product that would probably be much easier to talk about. <laughs> you know, like we're we're selling ourselves to a certain extent because you know, engaging with an architect or a designer is such a personal experience. You spend so much time with people, the client is entrusting you with, you know, their life savings or their business idea or whatnot. It really, a lot of it does come down to personal relationships at the level of which my business is. I think obviously if you're going to much bigger practices you're, you're going to them for the equity in their brand, their past projects. You know, I don't think people are going to like Woods Bagot or hassle necessarily because um, or they might because they've got personal relationships. But, you know, you're obviously going to them for a, a, a specific outcome, you know, yeah. with smaller practices like ours So much, you know. We all have capabilities, and we can all do, you know, beautiful work. So much of it, I think, is actually, oh, do we get along? Do I? Do you think you can spend so much time with this person, and will they, you know, then do a good job?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: Jaden is by far and away our longest client. Oh, you know, the relationship's been there for, I don't know, seven or eight years, maybe a bit more. I think obviously we've proven that we can do the work and that we understand the brand, but so much more is because we've got to spend a lot of time together as well on these projects, you know, actually maybe less now than we did in the beginning because now we know each other so well and I think they trust us so that they, you know, they don't um, have to be there like they were in the past, but in, yeah, previously, you know, these projects are big, biggish projects and you're working together, you're taking the brief, you're understanding what they're doing. Gosh, wouldn't it be difficult if you didn't get along?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: It'd be a nightmare yeah. actually. Yeah. And make it so unpleasant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just... I'm just mindful of the time. There's one more little area that I really would love to get to because you mentioned, you've said we're not selling a product a couple of times, but in fact, you actually do sell (laughs) some products. (laughs) So I just wanted to ask about those because you've been, you've developed a number of different products and, and furniture and dining tables and side tables and chairs and Ottomans as based the sort of been derived from some of your different projects over time. And you've done this with Grazia and co, right? And I think this has been, this is such an interesting facet to your business that you've got these beautiful products available for sale that turn up all over the place in people's projects and it's great like the eva stall and stuff so i guess just really really briefly because a lot of people do come on the podcast and they talk about oh we're we're thinking about getting into something doing a product or whether it's a piece of a lighting or a tapware or something but it seems to always really bubble around just at the idea stage, we would, we would like to do that, but it doesn't often seem to really progress much further than that. I find a lot, but this is something that you've just executed on completely with this collaboration. So just really interested in that, just a little bit of your perspective on what it's like being a small architecture practice that also sells heaps of chairs (laughs) to the rest of the industry. Sounds awesome.
1: Like I got a text from Grazia yesterday, sending me a picture of a prince table that's just been installed at Roger Wood from Wood Marsh's house. And I was oh. like, that is so cool. Um, yeah. You know, someone that I really, you know, I love their architecture and now there's one of our tables, you know, mm. at his house. And that's, that's great. Um, yeah. It's something completely unexpected but the furniture one of the things that has been sort of rolling around for a while is how to develop a bit of a passive income mm-hmm. and have sort of a something on the side to supplement you know traditional design work and something that's actually working for you when you're not you're not working you know, yeah. at, you know, when we're there, you know, nine to five or six, or whatever. And that's something that people can be looking at when they're just browsing online or, or what that might be because, well, yeah, we are the asset, you know, the our minds and our creative thinking is essentially what we're selling and it can be volatile. You know, next year they're already talking about a recession. Like architecture and design can be a bit of a luxury. Well, it is a bit of a luxury. Yeah. So what happens when there's downturns and things like that? Anyway, passive income would be great. Those products that Grazia has didn't start as specifically for that purpose. That's you know, right. What they were... Yeah, they, they, you know, they were designed for the purpose of those projects and so how it sort of came about was that Grazia had seen them and I think it was fortunate that she thinks that they would meet, you know, they would be a great addition to their collection but also, you know, They offer something that other pieces in their collection don't. So I think that's where we were lucky. You know, that Prince table is a unique shape. It's not a rectangular dining table. And so it stood out to her as something unique and something that she could say, well, we've got a range of dining tables, but here's another one that's a little bit of a, you know, has a point of difference to those. Mm -hmm. And then the same. The same with the Ottoman, you know, it it was, I think we were in the right place at the right time with something that for from her point of view, you know, it wasn't something that she had thought, oh, I've already got that. You know, I don't yeah. need I don't need that. And I think that's the the tricky thing with products, is that there's amazing design work out there, but it's just you have to think from the manufacturer's point of view or and then sales and distribution you've you've got to be able to sell those products and if you've got three or four things that are very similar like you know it's harder to sell
0: <clears throat> yeah
1: so you know i think that in in that regard that was really we we designed this specifically for those projects but they they kind of fit a niche and the niche was that they were different. Yeah. And then that let them sort of be you know in her fourth, you know in her line of sight. Um I would love to keep doing that. I think it's but when you know when we've tried to do it specifically I don't think it's had the same cut through. I think yes part of the reason why their pieces are really interesting is because they were designed for a specific purpose. Uh, so when we've tried to be a bit more wider reaching, it, it's it's probably, you know, we've looked at it all even internally and sort of thought eh, something's not quite quite right.
0: Yeah. Um, but that's interesting because if a project presents a, purpose or a space or a problem or a concept that you guys are so tapped into what is already out there in the market in terms of furniture and products and design. So if there was already a really um, straightforward sort of solution for that purpose or that problem you would have just probably gone and bought it off the market but it's when you've designed something custom is because the project needs something custom that there isn't a a good alternative for in a way that's just my my guess right so when you're doing it in response to one of your custom projects it feels like you're just naturally going you're finding something different something that doesn't there isn't already a bunch of other alternatives out there that fits that problem or whatever. So it's interesting compared to when you actually sit down and go, let's just design a product to sell. It's actually hard to, there's not really a constraint there, is there? That's actually making you find something that's different.
1: Yeah, that's, that's yes, spot on. That's 100%, right? Like those pieces were a solution to a problem that we didn't have an alternative for. And that, yeah, exactly. Mm. When we've tried to do it with a bit more, of an obvious outcome, um, yeah, it hasn't worked. And I, I think Dita Rams, you know, that amazing hmm. industrial designer for like Braun. I think he's got a quote along those lines, actually, Dave, which is about like it's about you. You know, you're designing a solution. You, you know, yeah. good product design is is designing a solution. And I guess that's why it reaches people because it it's something that they. they need.
0: Well, Eva, we have been speaking for the full time we've got today. I don't want to take up any more of your day. I don't think we even spoke about marketing, which is great. I just like talking to you about your general process and sort of um, attitude and philosophy about all of those different areas we looked at. So that was really, really, really interesting. Thank you so much, Eva.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was so enjoyable chatting to you.
0: Do do you have any final, uh, anything, last bits and pieces that are on your mind or any sort of final finishing words just in case there's something that you've got left over for the listeners?
1: For me personally, I think the more I have been vulnerable and open to whatever the situation might bring forward has been the biggest learning experiences and ultimately the best sort of learning experiences i think design is something that or any business really you know it's 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 something that you if you try to hold on to it too tightly it you can end up being quite stagnant whereas i think yeah the more you let yourself be vulnerable the more presents amazing opportunities you meet amazing people you never know which door is going to open for you and and doors close as well but you know doors closing allows something else something else to happen and i think in business you you get you get the most by being as open minded and trying to keep pushing forward all the time as you can because ultimately Like, I want to be doing this until I retire or something, (laughs) you know. So there's lots lots of years ahead.
0: That's absolutely right. Well, thank you so much, Eva. That's a beautiful finishing thought. And, yeah, again, I just really appreciate you spending the time to come on the show.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Dave. I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks very much for having me.
0: That was my conversation with Eva Foskia from IF Architecture. If you'd like to learn more about IF Architecture, you can visit ifarchitecture.com.au and have a look at their beautiful new website. You can also follow IF on Instagram at ifarchitecture. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.